Welcome in to the latest installment of the Chase and Mace podcast. I'm your host, Mason Me. That's Chase Baxa. We're just two friends who've been at a random school that no one's ever heard of. And this is the latest in soccer news. And guys, we are so sorry we did not record at all last week. It was, you know, international break and, you know, everyone's super, super busy with stuff. Chase, I know, has uh, some coaching to do. He's done a really good job so far. Hopefully he can keep it up. We will see. Great. Three no? Three no. Love to see it. All right. So with this international break among us, we have a lot, a lot, a lot of World Cup qualification going on. And let's start with the main event, and that is Italy. Do they qualify for their for the World Cup for the first time since 2014? That's a big no. They lost to North Macedonia 1-0 to in the uh, playoff semifinals, and they are packing up the European champions. Don't make it to Qatar. That's just that's just wild to me. Chase, what do you think about that? It really sucks, man, because I'm pretty sure two or three weeks ago we were talking about, oh, Mario Balotelli got called up to the Italian squad. We're so excited to see what he does in the World Cup. Oh, my goodness, like this is the craziest thing in the world. And then two weeks later – they're knocked out of contention to even go into the World Cup. Like, that's – it's really sad. Uh, I really like a lot of those players on that team. And, I mean, a couple of those those players are done. I mean, they're not going to see another World Cup. So, it's – I mean, in some senses, it's an end of an era. And it, it's uh, it's hard to see. I mean, their goalkeeper, Donnarumma, I mean, he's going to be around for quite a bit. So, not too much to worry about there. But I'm pretty sure this is probably the last time that Mario Balotelli will ever get called up to an Italian squad. So it really, really made me sad to not see him go to the actual World Cup. Me as well. Great player. Um, and especially for players like uh, Giorgio Chiellini, Leonardo Bonucci, two center backs that have just been the backbone of Italy for years and years and years. And it's sad to see them not go to the World Cup. Uh, they lose missed- to North Ma- Northern Macedonia. Like, Super weird to just see that team come out of nowhere and beat the European champions like that. It was it was very very strange. I didn't. I don't think anybody expected uh, expected that. Yeah, not a chance. I mean, everyone that I talked to was completely blown away. Yeah, North Macedonia finished second place in their group behind Germany, who topped their group with a nine zero and one record with only one loss and four goals allowed in ten games. Whew. Yeah, that's pretty good. That sounds like the. Uh, the machine Germany that we know. Oh, absolutely. But it was just really surprising because North Macedonia had five wins in their group. They had 23 goals for and 11 goals against. They scored five goals against Liechtenstein. And they also scored three goals against Iceland, who I really wanted them to be in the World Cup again. Yeah, everyone loved the Iceland story. Like the the celebration, all the clapping and everything like that. That was the coolest thing to see uh, last World Cup and to not be able to see it this year. Again, another thing that just saddened me. I mean, it, it's cool to see an underdog like Northern Macedonia make it to the World Cup. But those other underdogs like Iceland uh, that you love to see go in because of their fan base, uh, it sort of stinks to see them get knocked out this year. And again, it still stinks to see Italy get knocked out this year. Like, it's just a, a fan favorite team that most people love to watch go in, especially our uh, big friend Josh Betty. I mean, that's a, that's a big rip to his family right there. Yes, it is. And now North Macedonia gets the honor and privilege of playing Portugal in Portugal for a spot in the World Cup. Ronaldo's coming home. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a rough one for them. But who knows? I mean, we all thought that when they pulled Italy, they were probably not going to win that one. But they somehow pulled it out. So 
there could be some surprises. That's true. And now let's go over to the other paths where we got Poland are going to play Sweden. Sweden beat the Czech Republic one nothing after extra time. And Poland got through because of the sanctions being displayed on the Russian national team. And we also have Wales reaching the final on a Gareth Bale wonder class game. Absolute banger. Oh my goodness. What? Wales Golf Madrid in that order, I guess. Oh my gosh. It's always in that order, man. Always oh. in that order. Always in that order. And the Ukraine and Scotland are still have to play each other in the semifinals. Their game was postponed. So Wales is going to meet one of those two teams. And what do you think about Wales? How, do you think they're going to make it to the World Cup? Um, well, I mean, thinking about who their next opponent is, I would assume yes. I mean, it's either it's either who? It's either Ukraine or Scotland, you said? Ukraine or Scotland, that's right. Yeah, so... I would assume that Scotland is going to go on past Ukraine. I mean, we'd usually Ukraine is not usually the the strongest of teams. And then with everything that's going on right now, I wouldn't assume that a lot of their focus is on their World Cup presence. So, I mean, I'm going to go with Scotland on that just because Scotland is usually a little strong. But a Wales versus Scotland game would be pretty fun to see. I think that'd be. I think the fans at that game would be absolutely hectic and just crazy. Uh, and it would be a good game to see. But I think Wales would take that one and probably get into the World Cup, honestly. What are you thinking? You know, it, Bale really turned back the clock with his performance against Austria. And as long as he can keep it up, I don't see any reason why Wales don't get in. Because when, when Bale, is, when it's Bales, when it's Bales, like, no team is better than Wales. No. Yeah, I agree. It's super crazy that Bale just sort of turns it on when he wants. And so, yeah, at Madrid, he never really does. He, he really never turns on what he can actually do. And then he goes to Wales, and he's probably one of the best players out there. Now, why do you think that is? Is he just trying to uh, get Real Madrid's uh, money and then just go home to Wales and play for real and not play for Madrid? Or is it another psychological factor? Because even when he was at Tottenham, he wasn't playing. You know, he d- It didn't seem like he was all in for the team. Yeah, I don't even know what it is. It sort of seems like he's just disinterested in club soccer at this point. I mean, whatever club he goes to after his first stint at Tottenham, seems like he just doesn't care. I mean, he went to Real Madrid. Uh, him and, I mean, every manager that was there did not get along and ended up coming back to Tottenham. Still really did not do well there. I mean, I put a lot of that on uh, Jose Mourinho. I think those two just don't fit well together. And... Mourinho being the Tottenham coach at that at that point just was terrible for him. I think, like you said, he didn't play well. He didn't play up to his potential. But at the same time, when you have a manager that really doesn't believe in you in general and doesn't like your play style, it's sort of hard to perform your best. But Bale was at his best the first since when Real Madrid had Carlo Ancelotti. That year that they won La Decima, the 10th Champions League, um, in Real Madrid's history. So maybe, you know, with Ancelotti back, he'll play better. Obviously, he has had some injuries, but do you think he can play better the more time he spends with Ancelotti? You know, I hope so, but the last that we saw from Real Madrid was not good. I mean, that 4 nothing thwomping from Barca. I mean, it was that was the worst I've seen Real Madrid play in my entire lifetime. I, I don't think I've ever watched them play with such disinterest for the game. Like, they just looked like they were out there. Modric, who looks like he's one of the best players in the entire world, 
looked completely lost. Looked like he had no idea what was going on on that field, which is really unlike him. And then everyone else was just sort of there. I mean, Vin- Vinicius Jr., sorry, Zach, but he was awful. I mean, every time he got touched, he went down and complained for a foul. Uh, he almost got in a fight with PK. And it's like, how? <laughs> I just don't understand what happened in that game for Barcelona to just take over and win 4 nothing. And it could have easily been 10 nothing With the amount of chances that they had, it could have been a 10 nothing game. So it was weird to see that. And then Bale not – you said he was injured or he is injured? I guess he's, he's had injuries. He's had injuries. Yeah, he didn't even get in in that game. Which, like, that just blows my mind that you're getting blown out by your biggest rival – and the manager doesn't trust you enough to put you on the field. Like, all they were missing was Benzema. I mean, the only player that they were truly missing was Kareem Benzema. And they completely fell apart. And it was it was truly surreal to see. It was it was very, very shocking. I, I, let, I completely agree with what you said. That was maybe the worst Real Madrid performance I've ever seen. And that's even coming on the back of one of their best when they played PSG, who is the most talented team ever assembled, but just Chavi's team just completely, completely annihilated them. Like that was, that was maybe the best Barcelona performance that we've seen this year. I agree. And one player I want to shout out for that game was Dembele. I mean, at times he didn't look the greatest. He gave the ball away quite a few times, but I mean, it didn't matter for Barcelona in that game. As soon as Real Madrid made one pass, they were all over them and got the ball back. But, I mean, Dembele looked confident. He looked good. I'm pretty sure he had two assists. I mean, he looked fantastic in that game, and he looked committed to the club. I mean, you can usually tell when a player looks like they are having fun and trying their best for the club. And like we were talking about Bale, you you don't usually see that at a club team for him. I mean, he just usually doesn't give his 110% for a club team. But uh, Dembele really looked like he was trying – 110% for against Real Madrid that game. And it was a, a great to see because I love that player. I mean, I love Dembele. And just all the controversy around him recently is is bad to see. I mean, I, I just want him to figure out where he's going to go next. Would you rather him stay at Barcelona or maybe make the trip to the Premier League? Because he, he dominated when he was in Germany. He did really well when he was in Spain when he wasn't injured. So now do you think there, another league is on the rise or is he going to stay put in Barcelona? You know, I'd love for I'd love for him to stay put at Barcelona. I think he would be amazing there. And Xavi loves him. I mean, Xavi thinks he's an amazing player and wants to see him stay. So I I mean, I would love to see him stay as well. If Xavi's saying that he wants him on his team, then obviously there's something good about him and there's Xavi has a plan for him. And I am 110% trusting Xavi right now because that performance against Real Madrid was convincing. And it was amazing to watch. And it was great to see Barcelona sort of resemble their confidence levels once again. Absolutely. Completely agree. Barcelona now are just so much fun to watch. They are now in third place in La Liga. They move up past Diego Simeone, your favorite manager's uh, team. <laughs> there, <laughs> They have uh, 54 points now. They are nine points back from Real Madrid, who sits in first place still. But they still have a game in hand on Sevilla, who's in second place. And who knows? Maybe we'll see Barcelona back in the Champions League next year. I think it's not far-fetched to think that, but we'll see. No, I definitely don't think it's far-fetched to think that at all. Um, 
it, I thought it was funny that, again, I always talk about the announcers, but they usually have the most insightful things to say about the games. Uh, but they were talking about how it was crazy that it was that during that Barcelona Real Madrid game, Real Madrid was nine points clear of second place, and they're losing four nothing convincingly to the third place team. Like that's crazy. That's why we watch soccer. I mean, we say it every week, but that's why we watch the sport is for games like that. Yeah, completely agree. And here's uh, Mason's weird set of the day. Sevilla are in second place, right? They mm-hmm. only have two losses the entire year. Holy cow. They have 12 ties. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's not a lot of losses, but that I don't know. That's, <laughs> it feels like they're boring then if they're tying 12 times. Well, we saw them play when they played West Ham, and we saw them play. Um, whenever we see them play, they they love to sit in. They sit back and they just defend, and then have like that one or two counterattack moments where they almost always score. Yeah. So they have forty goals for and only nineteen goals against, and everyone else in the top five has at least fifty goals scored, but twenty five against. So it's just it's very interesting to me to see that. Yeah, I mean that just automatically right off the bat, looking at the stats, that shows that they're playing a completely different style than everybody else. I mean, and I think that's really cool to see. You can literally look at the stats and tell that this team is doing something completely different than every other team and succeeding. That's pretty cool. Well, succeeding is one way to put it. They've tied four of their last five games. So we'll see if that can continue. Impressive. (laughs) Very. That's one stat that's just very strange. Yeah. All right, so let's 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 head back over to World Cup qualification and talk about CONCACAF. Now, CONCACAF is, they have uh, two games going on right now. USA is beating Panama four to zero, and Honduras and Mexico are both tied at nil nil. And it's all looking good for Canada right now, who sits top of that group with twenty eight points. USA, Mexico, and Costa Rica are in those two through four spots, each with twenty two points. Uh, sure. Canada is actually guaranteed a spot in the World Cup at this point. I believe they are, yes. Yeah, here it is. Four through three just said it uh, a couple hours ago. And Alfonso Davies, actually, he's, uh, he's very, very pleased with that, with that fact. Sure, he is one of the best uh, outside backs of this past year. And hopefully we could see him play more for uh, Canada. Canada have a great team. They got, uh, what's his name, David up top. They got... Uh, Alfonso Davies, who else do they have on that team that's really good? There's someone else I'm missing. See, I know nothing about Canada. I love that they're going to the World Cup, though. This is like the first time since 1986. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic to see. And, I mean, they've been good. I mean, they knocked out. They knocked us out of contention four years ago, didn't they? That was Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. I know we lost to Canada, though, in one of those World Cup qualifiers pretty early. That was, that was uh, sort a very weird uh, cycle for us. Yeah, very weird. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking forward to Canada in there. It'll, it'll be fun to watch. They do have a really good and young team. Uh, USA are winning 4 nothing, like I said before, against Panama. But they play Costa Rica in their next game. And Ooh. that's going to be close. Obviously, Costa Rica's in fourth, like I said before. And they they could give us fits. They usually do. They got Kaylor Navas. They got all sorts of players. Yeah, Costa Rica is a good team, man. You can never count them out. Not at all. And um, 
we just played Mexico this past week and we tied them zero zero. And oh boy, that was that was a really weird game. We should have won at least two to three zero probably instead of escaping the Azteca with no, with only one point. Yeah, I that game is probably the biggest game around me. Um, I think it was just cool to cool to walk into school the next day and everybody in the world was talking about that game. Uh, but obviously, I mean, I live in a place where the Hispanic population is very, very high. So they they were telling me the opposite thing that you just said. They were saying that Mexico should have won. There was no question that they should have won that game. And <laughs> going back and watching the highlights, I'm like, hmm, yeah, I think uh, I think U.S. dominated that game for most of it. And Wonder Boy or Christian Pulisic, I think I think he uh, sort of screwed us up there. You're not wrong on that. Uh, he had two to three chances where he easily could have slotted home at least one, and I just th- and I, I, it was very weird to me because a lot of the players and a lot of the coaches were happy with a with one point out of the Azteca where you know he could have gotten all three. I I think I don't like that attitude of you're happy to get a to get a draw away, and then you could just win all your home games and get through. I I I don't know, but what do you think about that? I always. I always hate the mentality of, yeah, we're fine with a draw. And especially in a game like that, like people look forward to those U.S. and Mexico games. People cross those days on their calendar and say, I need to take off work for that game. And for a manager to go in and say, yeah, I'm okay with just a point, I I think it's almost disrespectful. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd rather see managers to go for a win and lose rather than settle for a tie. I'm, I'm not a fan. Just don't like it. No, it just ruins the sport at that point. I mean, it ruins the competition of the sport. It's it's just no fun. That, that'd be like Manchester United and Manchester City coming into a derby and both saying, eh, we're all right, we're all right with a 1-1 draw or a 0-0 draw. Like, that's not fun. Nobody ever thinks that's going to occur. No one ever thinks that in a derby day, that any manager is just going to go for the tie. Mm-hmm. And that's what this U S and Mexico game always is, is it's, it's basically a derby game. I mean, I mean, we're two neighboring countries that one's on the up and up, which is the U S and one has been established for quite a while in the soccer, soccer realm. And I mean, it's just a good game now. It's, it's finally a really fun game to watch and it could go either way. And for the managers to say that they're fine with one point, Again, I think it's sort of disrespectful. You know, one of my, my, well, let me put it this way. My favorite football team in the U.S. is the New York Jets. It's been a rough life. It's been, been a rough. Uh, hey, how's that been working out for you? Rough 10 years, you know. It's been a rough 10 years. But one of the coaches, one of the head coaches when I was a kid was Herman Edwards. And he had a very, very famous rant in a post-game press conference where he said in a really funny voice, you play to win the game. I just think <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, it's just it's it's perfect for here because I managers settling for ties it makes me very angry. You you have all the players in the world, you have all the momentum, and yet you're saying no, we're not going to take the risk because we could possibly lose. I hate I hate players who play scared. I hate managers who manage scared. It sucks. It sucks. I fully agree with your explanation before with it doesn't make the game fun. Completely agree. And I swear, Chase, if you do that with your high school team, I will come down to Virginia and kick your butt. Listen, Mason, I have won three games in a row now. One of them was 7 nothing, and then the next two were 8 nothing. I play to win the game. Yeah, good. 
<laughs> Good. And uh, speaking of Wonder Boy, let's switch back over to the Premier League where we have we're going to open it up to some discussion today rather than just talk about games. And we have a few few things that we're going to discuss. The first is going to be our Hall of Fame. And the Premier League Hall of Fame, uh, usually they pick two players to unanimously get in, no vote needed, and they pick about 15 to 20 players that are go- need to be voted in by the fans. And the list of nominees came out last week, and boy, is it an extensive list. I'll, I'll, yeah, there's I'll, a ton of people on this list. Absolutely. I'll read all of them for everybody here listening. So it's Tony Adams, Sergio Aguero, Sol Campbell, Petr Cech, Andy and Ashley Cole, Didier Drogba, Patrice Evra, Les Ferdinand, Rio Ferdinand, Robbie Fowler, Vincent Company, Matt Letizia, Gary Neville, Michael Owen, Peter Schmeichel, Paul Scholes, Teddy Sheringham, John Terry, Yaya Torre, Edwin van der Sar, uh, Rude van Nistelrooy, Robin van Persie, Nemanja Vidic, and Ian Wright. And of that extensive list, only six can be voted in. But I... I'm just not a fan of the eligibility requirements for the Premier League. I'm going to list them out for everybody here as well. So in order to get into the Premier League Hall of Fame, they must have retired by the season start. So in this case, it would be the 1st of August of 2021. And for them to be in consideration, they must have a minimum of 250 Premier League appearances or make at least 200 appearances for one club be selected into a Premier League Team of the Decade or 20 Anniversary Team, won a Premier League Golden Boot or Golden Glove, been voted as the Premier League Player of the Season, won three Premier League titles, or scored 100 league goals or recorded 100 clean sheets. The one thing that just really irks me about it is that retirement by the start of the season. I believe this will lead to a lot of recency bias, which I, I can see already with Sergio Aguero and Vincent Company. Um, it doesn't make sense to me, you know, with the foot, with the American football hall of fame, you have at least five years after you retire and then you could be on the ballot to get into the hall of fame, which I think is a simple yet effective measure. Cause that way we can eliminate all the recency bias as well as compare them to other players that have been older and are on the ballot for longer. Now, with that being said, Chase, what are your thoughts on the uh, list as a whole? and the requirements to get into the Hall of Fame. No, I think the list, like you said, very extensive. Uh, A lot of players on this list. A lot of really, really good players and a lot of, I would call, legacy players, like names that you're going to hear for quite a while. Um, And so I think they hit pretty much everyone. There's not a person that I can think of that has recently retired that I would also throw on this list. But, yeah, I fully agree with you. I mean, the the recency bias thing is definitely real. I mean, a lot of people are going to be voting for, like, Sergio Aguero, especially because, and this might be just a little reading into it too much, but they're putting this on Instagram. And who's using Instagram? It's mostly the younger people. It's mostly the younger population. And they're not going to know Rio Ferdinand. They're not going to know Robbie Fowler or Gary Neville or Teddy Sheringham. Like, they're not going to know these names like off the top of their head. So they're going to go with the names that they know. And Sergio Aguero is one of those names. And so I wouldn't doubt that he gets in this year just based off of that fact. And it's just, I mean, it's not fair because both of us, we even off the top of our heads, Sergio Aguero is not even in that list off the top of our heads. 
neither of us, we've come up with probably three lists each that contain different players. And Sergio Aguero has never been included. So it's, it's just weird. And it doesn't really make sense. I agree that maybe like a three to five year after you retire, that'd probably be a little bit better. Uh, But I don't know if they ever will change. It also is weird to me that you can negate the 250 Premier League games played by if you got a golden boot or a golden glove. I mean, just just because you had one really good season and you scored a lot of goals, I don't think should override how long you were in the league. It, I think that's very odd. And I think that applies to what Teddy Sheringham is what you said. He only played 150 Premier League games, but I mean, he had a ridiculous amount of goals. But it, I mean, that that just doesn't seem fair to me. I think that you should probably either lower the amount of games played required or uh, just toss that entire idea of golden glove and golden boot just because, again, those are just one season. If you just win Golden Boot one season, that does not mean you are the best striker in history. Because I, and this is sad to say, I don't think Jamie Vardy is ever making the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's a great player, always will be a great player. Won the Golden Boot the one year. Uh, and But that doesn't mean that he should be in the Hall of Fame because of that wonder year that Lester had. And so I, I think they need to look at those rules a little bit. And I fully agree that the currency bias, bias is definitely a thing. Uh, but I think there's a, also a couple other things that they need to look at. I completely agree. And I know you had a little bit of a concern with one player on the list and one player that was unanimously in the Hall of Fame already, and that's Wayne Rooney and Petr Cech. What were your thoughts on those two? Yeah, I just think that in terms of talent and in terms of importancy to the league in general, uh, Rooney and Petr Cech are on the same level. I mean, Rooney, yes, definitely one of the best offending players that we've ever seen. But that goes for Petr Cech as well. Probably one of the best Premier League goalies that will ever grace the field. I mean, there's never somebody that we look at and say they were dominant as the best goalkeeper year after year after year as Petr Cech. I mean, he's the only goalie that I can think of that had that complete dominance for that long. And I don't know. It's weird to me that Rooney gets the unanimous decision. He deserves it. I mean, I have no questions that Rooney deserves it. But if you're going to give it to Rooney, I think Petr Cech needs to be the next one. No, I completely agree. Um, Petr Cech has been in the Premier League since 2004. And he retired in, what was it, 20, 2017, 2018? Yeah. So that's 15 years of solid goalkeeper play. He has the record for the most clean sheets in the Premier League. And there's no reason why he should not be unanimous. It's So this year it was Wayne Rooney and Patrick Vieira. I think two unanimous players that we would both agree with. Yep. Yeah, I, I have no problems with either of those players. Yeah, but I know I completely agree that Petr Cech does deserve to be a unanimous player. So with that being said, who who was your list as the top six players? All right, so the six that I have are Petr Cech, Didier Drogba, Rio Ferdinand, Gary Neville, Peter Schmeichel, and Paul Scholes. That's a really good list. I'm surprised you went with um, Didier Drogba just because that team was built as a defensive team and a, just a, a monster of a team as well. Yeah, I agree, and... We even talked about it that 
John Terry was actually the leading scorer for for that Chelsea team, and it wasn't even Didier Drogba, the, the lead striker of that Chelsea team. Uh, but I think you have to take into account just his overall presence as a player. And Didier Drogba, I read a book on him. I can't remember what it was called, and I'll send it over to you if I remember what it was, what it was or where I have it. But it was a book based on just African soccer. It was players from Africa that made it to the Premier League that had crazy and good careers. And Didier Drogba, just the things that he did for the Ivory Coast, just the representation that he had for the nation of Africa in general in the Premier League was incredible. And the footprint that he left on the Premier League, I think, is much bigger than a lot of people realize. And so that's why I think he has to get tossed in. And he just, I mean, he was the clutchest player that you'll ever see. I mean, the goals that he scored came at always the right moment, and they were beautiful. They were always beautiful. It was never just some tap-in that Didier Drogba scored. It was the leaning back, flying header against Bayern Munich. Like, it was those type of goals that that made his career what it was. And, I don't know, to me, he could al- almost be a unanimous decision. I, th- I think he is that high up on my list of players in my mind. So he, he was a no-brainer for me, Didier Drogba, all day long. That's fair. And I saw you went with uh, two goalkeepers in Petr Cech and Peter Schmeichel. I think Peter Schmeichel, again, is one of, one of those guys that almost could be unanimous. I mean, he's just – he's an icon of goalkeeping. He is just behind Peter Peter Cech in, in my idea. Um, Petr Cech, obviously – Again, we were talked about dominant goalkeeper for so many years. What was it? 14 years, 2004 to 2018. Yep. 14 years of just being completely dominant pretty much wherever you go. I mean, he went to Arsenal and wasn't the best uh, for a year or two, but his tenure at Chelsea was incredible. And no one will ever take that away from him. And then Peter Schmeichel, I think, is the same level. I mean, you can look up Peter Schmeichel's highlights on YouTube. And I think anybody would agree with me that he was a top-tier goalkeeper. Um, And I think it also says a lot that his son is also a top-tier goalkeeper. I mean, just having that legacy passed down, he is a legacy player. That name, Schmeichel, carries a lot of weight. And so I think it has to go into the Hall of Fame sooner or later. Maybe if it's not this year, it has to be sooner or later. No, I completely, completely agree. I think your list is very, very complete and comprehensive. Um, I'm going to share my list now, and I have Petr Cech, Rio Ferdinand, Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, Matt Letissier, and Teddy Sheringham. See, my my only one that I disagree with you there is Teddy Sheringham, and that was the only reason that I said before was, yeah, he scored a ton of goals, and he had a lot of records that most of them are now broken, but I just don't think that scoring a ton of goals means that you deserve a spot in the hall of fame. But I mean, also it was for Manchester United. So I could see (coughs) how you might, uh, you might like him a little bit more than I did. So I think you're confusing him with rude Van Nistelrooy, who we talked about before the show. You're right. I am. I am confusing him. So uh, let me, let me share with you, Teddy Sheringham. So he was active in the Premier league from 1992 to 2007. So that's 15 solid years. So don't even get me started on longevity. Yeah, sheesh. Uh, he played for n- notably for West Ham, Portsmouth, Man U, and Tottenham. And he be- also became the Premier League's oldest scorer at 40 when he was at West Ham. 
Um, and this is during a period of time where Manchester United had four insanely good strikers. They had Andy Cole, Dwight York, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and Teddy Sheringham. So he was not getting the amount of playing time that he probably deserved. In the Premier League, he's, he had 418 appearances with 146 goals and 76 assists, which really surprised me because not many strikers are passing the ball. No, not too many. And he had he has three Premier League titles. Um, I believe one Golden Boot. That was that was that was the very first season of the Premier League. And he has two monthly awards. So I think in terms of longevity and the goal scoring ability that he had, I feel like he deserves the Hall of Fame. Uh, Matt Letizia was another surprise that he wasn't voted in in the initial or the. Um, the first uh, Hall of Fame induction uh, because uh, teams had a game plan against him for 10 years. Yeah. Like yeah. When, when you go out of your way to game plan for someone, that just shows how good you are as a player and how afraid you made the other teams. And Matt Letizia just gave us so many, so many memorable, memorable goals. He had so many chips. He had so many, just long range pile drivers to the back post. So many times that the his goals had weird volleys that went bar down. It's just crazy to me. He was one of the one of the best players and one of the best highlighted players that I have ever seen. Yeah, I mean, very surprising that he is not already in the Hall of Fame. So I would love to see him get in. It's that's just a name that I didn't recognize completely right off the bat. Uh, and once I looked up his name, I mean, obviously, all those goals came flooding back. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen these goals thousands of times. But um, it just wasn't a name that I immediately off the top of my head recognized. So I went with uh, with Drogba again. again, one of my favorite players of all time. That's a lot of, a lot of praise coming from a Liverpool fan. Listen, back in the, the boyhood days, I was a big Chelsea guy. Then you grew up once Liverpool got good again. Listen, I <laughs> well, guys, since uh, if anybody remembers, oh, what's his name back then? He was a he was a center back, and oh, Martin Skirtle. Oh, Skirtle, the big Skirtle. What a legend from 2013, 2014, and when we had, I mean, Denny Sturridge was the prime of his career. Oh man, what what a bunch of times. Ryan Sterling, honestly. I mean, Sterling was on there at that time. That was a wild team. It was just so crazy. I mean, especially <laughs> then we, excuse me, then we pick up Benteke, which scores like zero goals for Liverpool. I mean, it was, what a weird time for Liverpool, honestly. It absolutely was. And then the other, uh, the other four players I had were Petr Cech, Rio Ferdinand, Paul Scholes, and Gary Neville, who I think all four should get in. And I think you would agree with that as well. Yeah, I was going to say, all four of those guys are on my list as well. So, <laughs> send them in. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about another team, specifically the team of the year in the Premier League. Obviously, Ooh. there are 10 games left in the season, so this list could change by year's end. But, oh boy, I, the more we uh, more we talked about doing this and the more like I got more information, it was just super hard to pick each position, and also, like, the worst 11, the player of the year, the goalkeeper of the year, the manager of the year, and we have a special award for the underrated player of the year, (laughs) excuse me, and our worst player of the year, which I'm very excited for. 
to the all to everyone out there, we love to talk about the best players in the world, but here we celebrate the worst ones. Oh yeah. All right, so let's get it started. Chase, who do you have in your team of the year? My team of the year is started off up top by Huming Sun on the left hand side. I mean, does he need any introduction? No, he, sir. The best player right now in the in the Premier League. He's so good. Uh, I put Mohamed Salah at center striker just because I had to toss Sokka out on the right wing. My midfield then goes to James Ward-Prowse, uh, Odegaard, and Fabinho. So I, I'm i sorry, I do have four Liverpool players on this team. Uh, we t- we're going to skim that down later on. <laughs> but uh, Liverpool, I mean, obviously they're my team, and I think that a lot of those players are world-class at the moment. But going into my back line, my back line then from left to right goes Cancelo, Virgil van Dijk, Thiago Silva, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And then who do you have in your goal, big guy? Oh, I'm going Mendy. Have to go Mendy. I praise him all year so far. I think he's just been so good. He has been – and as a goalkeeper, this I think this word is, is well used. He's predictable. I mean, he's going to make the same save. Every time he's going to make the right save every time he's not going to let in any silly goals. He's just been so good this year. You know, it's very rare that you get a player that can perform at least an eight out of 10 every single week. And Mm -hmm. Mendy is absolutely one of them. Uh, Yeah. So with that, I have like, no, I have no issues with any of the players you listed. I love you that you had James Ward Prowse in there. Uh, Fabinho was a little surprising because I would consider Henderson instead of him but you know they're two very similar similar players so I have no issues with him in there I think Fabinho's just ball winning ability is what put him a notch over Henderson they're very similar players they find the same passes very consistently but Fabinho wins the ball nine times out of ten and he just knows when to step in that position and win the ball he just knows all what's happening around him and if he needs to step he will step hard. And if he wants to lay off and let that player have their space, he's going to do that and then step in at the right time and pick off a pass of some sorts. I think he just takes one step over Henderson because I think Henderson is a really hard worker and he's definitely on my sub for the team of the year. He's been great the past three years, but he just tries very, very hard. He's at 100% all the time while Fabinho knows when to sort of be relaxed and take a step back, and then step in and win the ball. Henderson is just always on his man's back, uh, it, making that pressure, which is good to have both of those players on your team. But I just like the way Fabinho plays a little bit more. That's fair. I totally respect your uh, your choices. Uh, obviously, you know more about Liverpool than I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot with my team of the year now. At the back, yeah. I have um, Harry Maguire at center back with uh, Alex Tellez at left back. Yeah, solid choices for <laughs> Solid. No, but for real, though, I had the same exact front line with Son, Salah, and Saka. Um, yep. My midfield is a little bit different because I have Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Martin Odegaard, who's the same, and then I have Ruben Neves just behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neves drives that midfield in the, in the Wolves team, and I think he fully deserves to be team of the year with James Ward-Prowse coming off the bench in my team of the year. And then across the back, I have Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, and Thiago Silva, and then Trent. I have Big Verge right behind them, though, at the center back position. 
And in goal, I do have Mendy as well, but I have Ramsdale right on his right on his ass. I think Ramsdale could easily become my um, goalkeeper of the year uh, if Arsenal can finish in that third position. I was going to say, with the 10 games left, if Arsenal makes a very strong push, I think Ramsdale takes him out for, for goalkeeper of the year. I mean, he's just... Ramsdale has been unreal this year. He's been carrying that Arsenal team at times. So I don't blame you at all. I mean, Ramsdale is very, very close to taking Mendy's spot. But it does make me a little butthurt that Virgil van Dijk does not start. I think you and I can both unanimously agree that Virgil probably does can be in any team of the year team, no matter what league it is in the global team of the year as well. But yeah, I- we talked about Kevin De Bruyne as well being that player. And he's on my subs, which... Again, he could have been in for James Ward-Prowse. He could have been in for Odegaard. He could have been in for Fabinho. He's one of those players that fits into the team of the year, year after year after year. He's like the the LeBron James of the Premier League. People get tired of seeing his name doing so well all the time. Absolutely. So I just thought it was a good idea to put in someone like Ruben Diaz, who has allowed, what was it, twenty less than 20 Premier League goals so far to this point? Yeah, Ruben Diaz has been fantastic. And same with Thiago Silva, who's just overall solid for that Chelsea back line. Yeah, very surprising. I Honestly, when I saw Thiago, Thiago Silva move to Chelsea from PSG, I was like, oh, he's just going to the Premier League to sort of wade off the rest of his career. Like, he's just, he's not going to start all the time. He's not going to be playing all the time. But no, he is the keystone of that Chelsea defense. And I love it. I mean, I really don't like watching Chelsea right now. I think they, we talk, I mean, we slam them all the time. But Tiago Silva has been a highlight of Chelsea this season. You know, when Tiago Silva first got to Chelsea, I thought the exact opposite that you did. I thought he was going to be a great, great cornerstone for them. I thought he would be the John Terry-esque player that Conte had when he was manager at Chelsea. And when once they got Tuchel and went to that three-back formation, I thought it was perfect for Tiago Silva because then he didn't have to move as much because he could just stay in the middle of the fields, hold all the time, and let you know Chaloba or Rudiger just go up and do all the work for him. So I thought it was a home run. I was saying, that's exactly what's happening now. Exactly, and I just it, it's a home run because he's the perfect defensive-minded player. Like, yeah, he is what thirty-six, so he is getting up there in age. But I, Chelsea just play him in all the right spots, so I feel like he does deserve to be in this team of the year. Fully agree. I mean, he's he's starting in mind, so I fully agree. My well, actually, who are the rest of your subs? So I had uh, Jaden Sancho, I had Jordan Henderson, I had Kai Havertz, and I had Felipe Coutinho with Virgil Van Dyke as well. I think that's very generous with Coutinho, just based off of. I mean, he's only been here since January. He has, but he's just transformed that Aston Villa side completely on its head. Yeah, seriously. I mean, he completely turned him around there for a second. But Kai Havertz has been their the Chelsea's best attacker. I don't. There's no reason why he shouldn't be in. And then Sancho, after struggling for about a month, month and a half, has been absolutely unbelievable for Manchester United. If he, if Sancho played the way that he's playing now for the entire Premier League season, he'd be my Player of the Year. I like, I would completely agree. He's been consistently the best player on the pitch every single Manchester United game. And it's crazy to me that he doesn't start. Mm-hmm. It's why I don't know why Ralph like switches up the teams the way he does. It it confuses me. Like Alang is really good. Uh, Rashford has been falling off a cliff lately, but I would just stick Sancho in on that left mid and just let him go to town. Yeah, seriously. So my subs, 
I had also Kai Havertz. Again, we I mean we talked about him week in and week out. He carries that Chelsea team whenever their strikers can't do anything. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about their strikers here in a little bit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they they can't do anything while Havertz is is basically carrying them. But I had a, a sort of a dark horse pick here in Edison Cavani. I think Cavani had an awesome year. I mean, yeah, he didn't play a ton. He doesn't get a ton of minutes. He's always injured. But when he does get in, he usually makes a pretty big impact. And I just think he's awesome. And so I have him as a sub. Uh, if we were actually playing with this team, he would probably only get maybe the last five minutes. But, I mean, I thought he was really good this year. Um, I also had Kevin De Bruyne, Jaden Sancho as well, Jordan Henderson, and like I said, Kai Havertz. I love that Cavani pick. I love it. I just think he's awesome, man. I love watching that guy play. And for a while there, I considered Cavani better than Ronaldo. I mean, I think everyone sort of agreed. They didn't want to say it out loud, but they sort of agreed that Cavani was playing better soccer than Ronaldo was playing there for, honestly, a couple of months. I just think Cavani is a more team player. So that's why I think he he should be like starting and be a huge part of the Manchester United offense. But, you know, Ralph loves his Ronaldo. He loves his Ronaldo T. Yeah. And you can't get enough of it sometimes. I mean, it's hard to not fall into that superstar idea. But at this point, I mean, he's just not producing enough. And I think Edison Cavani, I mean, he's usually the the answer, but we don't he doesn't toss him in enough. And it's just like Jaden Sancho. I mean, Jaden Sancho being the player of the year if he was able to play the way he is right now for the entire season. But like it's just it blows my mind that Ralph decides to not play the players that are amazing. I mean, are great, are doing well, are in form. He just says yeah, we're we're gonna go with the big names, and I think that's a very small club attitude. To be honest, it is. It really is. I hate it. I hate it so much. Cavani plays so much better, especially in the tag with them, um, with Marcus Rashford and Jane Sancho, because he lets them make all the runs and do basically all the work, which they're more than willing to do. But he's always in the right position to you know make a two v one in favor of the defense into a one on one. Like, he can make the right run. He picks out the right pass. He passes when he needs to. And Ronaldo just doesn't do that. Ronaldo's purely the goal scorer that he is. And it, it's not what man you need. And it's hard to say, and it's, it's hard to criticize Ralph at the time because you watch some of those games where, like, Ronaldo goes out and scores an absolute amazing hat trick. And it's like, okay, the next five games, how are you going to say to Ralph Ragnick, hey, you shouldn't start Ronaldo. Hey, you shouldn't be playing Ronaldo that much. Even if he plays his worst game ever, all all, all everyone is going to say is going to be, well, look at two games ago, he scored a hat-trick. Look at three games ago, he scored a hat-trick. Like That's all everyone's going to talk about. So it's hard to get into a position where you can actually play those players that are playing well because Ronaldo will have a good game every once in a while. And that's what they piggyback off of for the weeks following. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. But if we were going to do a worst manager of the year, I think Ralph Ragnick gets it. No hand, unanimously. I don't think anybody's going to disagree. Frank Lampard? Oh, yeah, Frank Lampard is pretty high up there as well. He would be my worst uh, worst manager of the year, if I'm being honest here. Yeah, he, uh, oof. 
he Everton's done, man. <laughs> I mean, switching up gears a little bit, but Everton's done. They're they're getting relegated. I'm I've fully lost faith in them. I have no hope for that Everton team. I think they're done, though. It'll be interesting to see if they can pull out of this rut that they're in, but they have such good players and they're going to freaking get relegated, go down to the championship. Like, oh, <laughs> it's going to be crazy with Deli Ali. They're going to go to the championship league with Deli Ali and Van de Beek. Like those are two huge names, huge transfers like Frank Lampard, Deli Ali and Van de Beek all go to Everton around the same time. And then we're talking about them two months later, going to be relegated. That's insane to me. That's that's just so weird to hear Everton on the verge of relegation. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, speaking of the worst, do you think it's time to go through our worst 11? I'm in for it. This is a fun one. It was just – it's so hard for me. It was so hard for me for just to pick, like, a goalkeeper, an outside back, and center back – to pair with Harry Maguire and Alex Tellez. So I just, I have, I only have um, seven players on my team right now. So I'll just, I'll just share them with you. They're Romelu Lukaku, who was a waste of 90 million or whoever much he was paid for. Yeah. Timo Werner, who was another waste of 90 million. I had Weghorst as well from Burnley, who just can't finish a meal, let alone a goal. And then in the middle, I had Keita and Pogba, who just played awful. Pogba had one month where he actually showed up for Manchester United. And then I just have Harry Maguire and Alex Tellez, two players who were just horrible at the back for Man U. You know, mine, uh, mine looks very, very similar. I have Romelu Lukaku up top because, again, waste of money. I mean, he's done absolutely nothing for Chelsea. And I don't care what he says on social media. I don't care what he says in interviews, anything like that. He is not doing well. And Thomas Tuchel can't say anything different. He's a bum. He's a bum right now. And then Timo Werner, I mean, since he's been at Chelsea, has not been able to literally do anything. I mean, his touch has been awful. His finishing prowess, awful. I mean, for being such a prolific scorer in Germany, which to me, Germany is a very hard league to be successful in. To be such a prolific scorer over there, and then to come to the Premier League and literally do nothing that's uh yeah you get on the worst team of the year buddy and then instead of Weghorst I had Brady so I had Burnley's left mid because I mean I already had Werner at the striker position so I had to go somebody from the Burnley top line because seriously if they could just score they'd be top five like that Burnley team is so good they don't let in any goals but they literally just can't score they can't score to save their lives so if they could score, uh, like that, that Burnley team would be amazing. So probably Burnley's entire top line could be on this wor- worst team of the year, but their entire back line could probably make the team of the year. It's just wild. Uh huh. Pogba, I had in the center as well. I mean, speaking of bums, this dude is a bum. <laughs> like going to Dubai for two weeks, like <laughs> you say, quote. I've I've been injured. I'm going to go take a vacation in Dubai for two weeks and leave my team. Like that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. We talked about Ronaldo going home to Portugal for that one weekend, and I mean I threw a fit. But Pogba is even worse. I mean going to Dubai just to basically vacation for two weeks, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he can he can leave the club now. I don't care. I'm done. Yeah, I think everyone's basically done with him at Manchester United. You be 
hard pressed to find somebody that wants Pogba to stay. Uh, my next guy is Nabi Keita. I mean, I had four Liverpool players on the team of the year, and now I have Nabi Keita on the worst team of the year. I feel like he is just giving the ball away. If he was a betting man, he's betting against Liverpool every game, I swear to God, because like he'll be looking forward and there'll be two open guys and he just decides to, I don't do something with it to lose the ball. Like I just don't understand what he does. And he was in form there for a little bit. He had a nasty volley. I think it was in the FA Cup and then just fell off. He was just gone. Like he hit this nasty volley in like the first two the games two games before that, he was doing really well, and then just decided that uh that volley was the peak of his career and he was gonna do absolutely nothing for the rest of it, so <laughs> awful. And then I have Davies, which I mean the Everton center mid, and it's just need I say more, Everton anybody right now could be on worst team of the year absolutely. Uh, then from my defensive standpoint, yeah, we're looking at pretty similar <laughs> teams there. We got Alex Tellas on the left. I have Troost Ekong, which is the Watford center back, which if you look up worst player in the Premier League right now, this man's name is the first name that you see. So I had to toss it on because if everybody on the internet is saying that he's the worst player in the league, he's probably the worst player in the league. <laughs> So he's he's sitting on there, especially since Watford's sitting in last place. I mean, that's that's hard to hard to negotiate when you're your center back for the the worst team in the league. Then again, right next to him, Big H, Harry Maguire, playing real well this season. Hey, he's gonna get an award. He will get an award. He we got to send him out a trophy because this is a big one. But uh, my right back was then Emerson Royale. Every time I watch Tottenham, I just see this guy getting burnt, and he just ends up on the ground. Like, <laughs> someone will run past him, and you look back 20 yards behind that guy, and he's Emerson Royale was on the ground for some reason. Like, either he slipped, or he's faking an injury, or some reason he's just on the ground and never doing anything well. I mean, so I think Emerson Royale deserves a spot on there. I think a lot of people would actually fight that fact. But I'm going Emerson Royale, and I'm sticking to that one. My goalkeeper, I thought this was funny. Uh, I have Mendy as my team of the year goalkeeper, and I have Keppa as my worst team of the year goalkeeper. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Keppa lets up, I think it was 3.3 goals per game is what they said. Oof. And that's not just in the Premier League, but like that's in the last calendar year. He lets up 3.3 goals per game. That's awful. That's so bad. Jeez. Oh my gosh. And he was the he's the world's record for keepers. Yeah, I mean which is that's absolutely mind-boggling because of how good he was the year before or two years before and now he in my opinion is one of the worst goalkeepers. And I have a I think his first name is Timothy Cruel from Norwich City. Um yeah, I mean not He's uh, great. I have such good memories of Tim Kroll coming on for the Netherlands in the World Cup. Kroll was penalties. Good. He used to be awesome. Uh, now he's sitting in Norwich, and Norwich is re- – I think I misspoke earlier. Watford is not in last. It's Norwich that's in last. And it's hard to hard to argue that the center – or the, the goalkeeper for the worst team in the league is not the worst goalkeeper in the league. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong there. Um, 
Tim Kroll. I would I would put Meslier or Muslier, the the lead goalkeeper ahead of Tim Kroll. I, see, I looked him up and I almost put him, but I'll tell you I'll tell you this right now. I didn't put him because I had no idea how to say his name. No idea. So, but no, Leeds have let up sixty-seven goals in thirty games. Yeah, that's awful. I mean, that's so bad. That's bad. That's rough. So yeah, he he definitely would deserve a spot on there. But like I said, the only reason I didn't put him on there was because I couldn't pronounce pronounce his name. I I, I still have no idea how to pronounce his name. I gotta I gotta hear Arlo White's silky smooth voice. Hear him. I gotta hear him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now let's move on to our full-on. We have five awards, right? We do have five awards. That's right. Yeah, we can add six. We want to do the worst manager of the year, but all right, I'm in for that. I'm in for that. Okay, so your the first award is going to be for player of the year. Chase, who's yours? Player of the year. I think we're going to go with the same player. I'm going to go Mo Salah. I mean, it's hard to hard to disagree that Mo Salah is not the player of the year. I mean, you look at the stats, it, leading in goals and what you said, third in assists. Yep. Yeah, third in assists. I mean, that's that's carrying an offense, and that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's actually amazing. But if I was actually going to choose another player of the year, just so we have different players, um, I would go Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, as much as I, the Liverpool fan in me hates to say it, uh, Kevin De Bruyne is... Could be the player of the year almost every season. But he's just had so many perfect passes this season and perfect goals and perfectly timed goals. And he's just so good. I mean, he's a wonder to watch. And it makes it hard to not like Man City as much as I do because watching Kevin De Bruyne is literally like watching art get created. I mean, he he plays the game perfectly. You know, I, I completely, completely agree with both of your players. I had Salas my player of the year, um, but there's no reason why Kevin De Bruyne should not be. You can always put, I think, either one of those players in and not get that much backlash. Like, depends on the stats you want to follow. Like, obviously, Salas number one in scoring and number three in assists, but Kevin De Bruyne just completely controls the midfield for Man City. He makes their whole team work. So there's no reason why he should not be in the team of the year or at least the player of the year. So, yeah, no no arguments for me over here. But, again, I just had Salah ahead of him. Yeah, and I I fully agree with it. I mean, I was just I was just naming Kevin De Bruyne just because I did pick Mo Salah as well as my player of the year. So I just wanted to have a little bit of a discrepancy in there. But, yeah, I mean, both players, anybody could pick, and, and no one's really going to have a problem with it. Yep, exactly. No, no question from me. So who is your goalkeeper of the year? Goalkeeper of the year is Mendy. I think just the consistency that he's had this year is unbelievable. I mean, I I would love to say Allison, but there has been points, and and maybe I'm just not watching enough Chelsea footage, but, I mean, there has been points in this Liverpool season where Allison's decision-making has been very, very questionable. And so I'm not going to go with Allison just because of that very questionable decision-making at times. And it could just be because Liverpool plays out of the back a little bit more than Chelsea does, and they include their goalkeeper in possession, and Chelsea definitely does not. But Mendy has just had a fantastic year in the Premier League, out of the Premier League. Obviously, winning the AFCON with Senegal is a is a huge deal. Um, it, it had to be Mendy in my eyes. 
you know, I have I have Aaron Ramsdale as my goalkeeper of the year because I feel like his once he joined and took the place of Burnt Leno in goal, he completely transformed Arsenal. He gave Arsenal a chance to win games like 1-0 or 2-1, you know, games that they are in. Like they can allow a lot of shots and not a lot of goals are allowed in that sense. But I had Mendy right behind him and then David De Gea in that third position behind him because I feel like De Gea's had a revival year even with playing a man down every single game. Yeah, basically playing with a three back when you're supposed to be playing a four. Absolutely. Uh, that's, a, that's some good picks. I mean, like I said, if Arsenal really picks up the rest of these games in the, these last 10 games, I would definitely consider putting Ramsdale above Mendy. But at the moment, I just think Mendy's been a little bit more consistent and just an overall better goalkeeper. Uh, but yeah, Ramsdale is a very, very solid choice. And David De Gea, I mean, more power to him, man. He has had an amazing comeback year, and I don't think people are talking about it enough because he did have a few rough years there Like that people were saying, oh, should we sell him? Do we need to get rid of him? Uh, do we need to start like Henderson? Like there, there was a lot of talks about starting Henderson, and there are no talks about starting Henderson anymore because David De Gea is having an amazing year. He is, and I was one of the player. I was one of the people who said, "Hey, we should probably start Henderson and sell De Gea." I, I'll admit it, but I'm glad. I'm glad De Gea is still here. I'm happy that he is uh, having the year that he is, and maybe we can get him another center back and with uh, to pair with Varane. Yeah, hopefully you do, man. Harry Maguire needs to get out. I'm I'm not disagreeing with you there. Uh, to pair with Ramsdale, though, my manager of the year was Mikel Arteta, who had one of the worst ever starts to the Premier League that I've seen any manager have, and yet he's completely, completely turned it around, and they're on the verge of Champions League. Yeah, how in the world did you start the way that they did? People were looking at this Arsenal team at the beginning of the season and saying, they're going to get relegated to the way they're playing. Like, they are going down. Uh, there's no chance that they have to revive this team. And then all of a sudden, they're sitting with, what, two to three games in hand, looking and really eyeing that third-place spot, which is crazy. Like, the amount of change that has happened this year with not too many player changes. I mean, it's, it's basically the exact same squad that he has just flipped and turned it on, on its head. And now, in my opinion, they're the most fun team to watch at the moment. Mikel has done a fantastic job, and I, I fully want them to be in Champions League next year. No matter how much I hate Arsenal as a team, no matter how much I just hate some of their players, like uh, Alexander Lacazette, you know, they're playing beautiful soccer. They really are. And I, I would love to see him in Champions League. Me as well. Who'd you have for your manager of the year? Was it Arteta? It was not at Arteta. I wish, uh, wish we could agree on that one. And <laughs> you're not going to like this pick. But I am going Jurgen Klopp. Uh, and the only reason I have behind that is you don't see many managers having the opportunity to win a, a quadruple. And you don't see many people that are, you don't see many managers that are, have ever been in that position where it's like, yeah, we've already won a trophy and we are in a really, really good position to win three more. I mean, especially in the Champions League, Liverpool just drew Benfica in the, in the what is it, in the round of 16. So that's, I mean, that's a really good draw. No, it's not the round of 16. It's round eight. Yep, the elite eight. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a really good draw for the quarterfinals. 
mean, it's a, it's a beautiful draw for the quarterfinals, considering who else we could have could have drew at that point. Uh, and then at that point, we play the winner of Sevilla. No, not Sevilla. Villarreal and Bayern Munich. So, like, again, two teams that are beatable by Liverpool in my eyes. Bayern Munich, obviously, a little harder than Villarreal. A little. Just a little bit. But both teams, very, very beatable by Liverpool. So, we are in a good spot for the Champions League. We're in a good spot for, I mean, the Premier League. Obviously, we're one point now behind Manchester City, and we play Manchester City. Like, we, in a... It's next week, I'm pretty sure, that starts this round of games. And it goes from, I can't remember what it is. It's like April 4th to like April 16th or 15th or something of that sort. That Manchester City has to play Liverpool twice. And they have to play Atletico Madrid twice. And that's tough. That's going to be tough for them to win those games. And so if they, they play Liverpool once in the Premier League and they play Liverpool once in the FA Cup. So both of those games, if Liverpool, if Liverpool can pull both of those games off, they then are in the lead for the Premier League and in a very, very good position to win the FA Cup. And then obviously Benfica is a very good draw for us. And so in that same time slot, we play Benfica. So if we can win those four games, I mean, we're even closer to a quadruple. And that's that's crazy just because a manager has to pick which players are going to play each game and load management and do all these things and scout these teams and figure out a game plan for all of these different types of teams that you're playing in all these different types of competitions, like going from Nottingham Forest in one week to Manchester City the next week, something of that sort. I think Jurgen Klopp has to be my manager of the year just because I mean, just being in contention, already having one title and being in a very good spot for three other titles, not many managers can get a team to that point. Even with all the huge names that we have, not many managers can do that. I mean, I don't even think Pep could do that. And obviously he hasn't. I mean, Pep is in good contention again for the Champions League. I mean, they're they're in a good spot for the Champions League. They're in a decent spot for the FA Cup. FA Cup. And obviously they're in the lead for the Premier League right now. But I mean, not many, not many coaches are are in the spots that these two managers are, and I'm just giving it to Klopp because I'm a Liverpool guy, and because he's already won, won a title. I know I went on a huge monologue about Klopp there, but it's just it's unreal to see what this Liverpool team is doing right now under this man. That's that's fair. Um, you're Klopp, fantastic manager, and I don't think anyone can put any disrespect to his name for what he's accomplished so far in his Liverpool career. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be. And if he does, no one will ever complain. Yeah. Uh, a name that I did have as a backup, because I think that people would give me crap for choosing my manager as, as manager of the year is uh, Eddie Howe. I mean, Eddie Howe, the manager of Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle's done a 180 from a team that's been flip-flopping back and forth between relegation uh, the Championship League and the Premier League. I mean, he's been doing great this season. Obviously, being bought out by some oil tycoons helps a lot. Getting a lot of money into your program helps a lot. But, I mean, Eddie Howe's been doing great with what he's been given. So, I think Eddie Howe deserves a 
deserves a mention as a manager of the year. Absolutely. Uh, no complaints from me. I would love to see him win. I don't think he will, just because Newcastle. Um, <laughs> they need to get back to where they were in like the 2010-2012 era. <laughs> yeah, I completely, completely agree. But I think a, a dark horse for that manager of the year award is going to be David Boyce. Oh, definitely. 110%. He's he's transformed that West Ham team into a really, really good team. And it wouldn't surprise me if he is going to be in contention at the end of the season. Yeah, with West Ham playing against, who was it, Tottenham? I mean, they did lose, what, 3-1? to 3-1, to one, yep. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best of games uh, for West Ham. But the announcer made a really good point in that in that match. He said that David Moyes is usually brought on for teams just to sort of keep them alive out of relegation zones. I mean, it, it, he usually gets brought on to teams that are struggling, uh, barely hanging on to a relegation battle. He gets brought on and keeps them above water for that season. Uh, but, I mean, what he's doing with this West Ham team. I mean, Jakey B was on here the other week talking about that game against Sevilla, how it was one of the biggest games in West Ham history that he's ever witnessed. I mean, that's that's special. So I don't even know if he's a dark horse. He might just be in contention for manager of the year. It's very special to see what he's doing with that West Ham team. Yes, it is. Can't wait for the end of the year. Um, Seriously. Speaking of dark horses, let's go into our underrated player of the year. Who do you have for that? Which is awesome because we're talking about David Moyes. I went Declan Rice. I mean, just that West Ham team, they did go through a slump for like a month or two that they weren't really winning a bunch of games and they were losing really close games or just barely holding on to games and scoring in like the 95th minute. Uh, But Declan Rice, I think, has been the cornerstone of that West Ham team. And he has been for quite a while. And he just doesn't get talked enough, talked about enough. I mean, he's a player that every summer is like, oh, is he going to Chelsea? Is he going to Manchester United? Where is this player going? And then he ends up staying at West Ham for another year and ends up doing great things for another year at West Ham. And I hope he doesn't move. I mean, I hope I don't jinx it by saying that. I hope he stays at West Ham this summer. But he's just been amazing. He's been a workhorse in that midfield. He controls the West Ham midfield. And he finds Antonio consistently. I mean, that's that's the biggest problem with some of these teams is they're not finding their striker a ton. And it seems like that's what Declan Rice's main objective is, is to go forward. And that's great to have in a midfielder. You know, I have no complaints from you with Declan Rice. I think he's a fantastic player. I wish maybe you got him before it was too late because there have been talks about him going to Chelsea now for $140 million, which, first of all, I have no idea where they're going to get the money. Well, um, well, to buy players, so that that's pretty much done right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no complaints for me. Um, I had my underrated player of the year as Connor Cody because he has seriously helped out that Wolverhampton Wanderers backline. It has has helped them for the last two years. Uh, right now, after thirty games played, uh, Wolves have only allowed twenty six goals, which I think is amazing considering the. The team that they have, they lost their manager to Tottenham after last season, and Wolves have still been in a great position. They got, they still have Ruben Neves. They still have um, Jimenez up top, who's been fantastic. They got Podence and other players, but I think Connor Cody has been their unsung hero. You know, I respect that, I, and I love that choice just because 
you're right. I mean, he is a workhorse, and he runs that Wolverhampton team uh, from the back. And we talked about it before. They play that three back, and they play a very interesting style of soccer that sort of resembles Atletico Madrid at times. Not all the time, but just sometimes. And to have that strong of a center back, back in that back three, it's awesome. And what he had a game winner in the in Wolves' last Premier League game, I'm pretty sure, or it was like their second-to-last Premier League game that he had a game winner in. Uh, it was a crazy header off of a off of a corner. But, I mean, he, he's just awesome. I love that choice. Absolutely respect it. And you always love to see somebody like that get recognized. It's just those players that don't get brought up by the announcers ever, don't get brought up by fans, but everyone knows that they are one of the best players on the field at all times. And that's sort of like a James Ward-Prowse type of idea is everyone knows that James Ward-Prowse runs the Southampton midfield and he's one of the best players on the field anytime you step on the field with him. But his name's not brought up very often. So I could, I definitely love that Connor Cody pick and definitely respect it. You know, whenever I hear of the word underrated, I always think of a holding midfielder or a defender more so than an attacking player. Because, you know, attacking players, they get the ball probably the most often aside from an attacking midfielder. So, and, you know, being the player that I was and, you know, that you were as well, Chase, but I always just consider that holding midfielder, that workhorse in the back to just, you know, clean up everything. You can always rely on them to have a good game and that'll help you win or at least give you a chance to win. And I think that's the most important or one of the most important players you can have on your team aside from a goal scorer. Yeah, for sure. And I don't mean to go back to Liverpool, but I mean, I think that's what make li- what makes Liverpool such a good team is you have Fabinho there, which is a very consistent player. And when he's not feeling well or not doing as well, you throw in an equally as good player in Jordan Henderson. And both of those names not getting brought up a ton, but if they don't do do their job well, that entire Liverpool team falls apart. And so I fully agree with you. I love thinking of an underrated player as that workhorse or that unsung hero in that holding midfield or that back line. If only Matic can play full-time for Man U, he would be mine. Seriously, he, he's been great. I mean, especially the past couple of weeks, he's been really, really, really good. Yeah, completely agree. Um, now let's go over to our most prestigious awards on this show. <laughs> and that is the first award is going to be for the worst manager of the year, who do you think is going to be? Man, I think I have to go Ralph Ragnick just because of the names that he has on that Manchester United team and isn't performing well. Like, yeah, Frank Lampard has been awful, but I don't know. Just having Ronaldo on your team, having Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, like Paul Pogba, all those names, all those huge million dollar names that bring in millions of dollars through like t-shirt sales and jersey sales and not doing well that's crazy i i mean i feel like i could walk into manchester united and manage them better than ralph ragnick at this point don't even get me started i would say i know 110 percent you could walk into that menu locker room and do better than ralph is doing well hey if either one of us get appointed as the menu manager we're bringing the other one yeah got to Oh, I have no complaints about Ralph Ragnick being the worst manager, even though he has had his moments. Like he's only he's only lost two games in the Premier League. 
which is crazy to say because we dig on him and and rip into him all the time, but he just doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing with this Manchester United team. It seems like the team itself is quitting on him. It does, and that's exactly how it feels. It feels like they're just like, eh, we're going to play however we want, man, and you can uh, sit along for the ride. That's exactly what he's doing. He's just sitting along until the next manager comes. Yep, and I hate that so much. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, I had my worst manager of the year as the one and only Frank Lampard, and I don't think I'm going to get any any complaints from you about that. No. Oh, my gosh, no. I hate that guy. <laughs> On the verge of relegation. One of your favorite managers, obviously. Uh, yeah, definitely one of my favorite managers. Always, <laughs> always will be. Did a great job at Chelsea, as Jakey B would say. Is doing a great job at Everton, as he would also say. I just remember at the end of that, uh, at the end of that podcast, it was like an hour and a half, or like an hour later after we talked about Frank Lampard, and Jake's like, "Well, with a, the one word or one sentence that I want to leave you guys with is, don't get the wrong idea. I don't love Frank Lampard." <laughs> <laughs> And it was like, well, I'm glad that you had to specify that because, man, Frank Lampard is not doing good right now. No, and I, if if Everton go down, he will be fired. If they somehow miraculously stay up, I think they're going to look somewhere else for a manager. So I think he's just done. He's not in a good position. I would say, yeah, even if they stay up, I don't think they're going to keep him next, next year. I just don't think that they trust him. I don't think the players trust him, and the organization shouldn't trust him with how he's doing with the players that he has. Absolutely. Completely agree. And now it's time for our most prestigious award. The one that we put above all the others. And that is the worst player of the year, which if I'm not mistaken, you and I both know exactly who it is and who we will name this award after. Yep. Yeah. Next year when we do this award, it will be now known as the big H award. Because we both unanimous, unanimously decided that Harry Maguire is the worst player of the Premier League season so far. <laughs> He's been abysmal at center back. Every time I see his name on the, uh, on the squad sheet, I'm just like, oh no. Oh no. We're playing with 10 men now. We're playing with love- 10 and everyone else is playing with 12. Yep. I just love all the memes that I send you, man, of those. It's like the same sound clip every single time. Where Harry Maguire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he does something real stupid. Like I saw one today where it was that, uh, oh, I can't remember what game it was, but he dummied the ball for absolutely, it goes like off the post and he dummies the ball and then they just score right after it. And it was like, why, why did you let the ball through your legs, man? You're a center back on the six-yard line. Like The decision-making from him is out of this world. And we usually say out of this world in the, in the best possible way, but I am doing the complete opposite here and saying out of this world, as in I have no idea what he's thinking 99% of the time. No complaints for me. Everything you said, completely agree with. I question a lot of things about that man. First of all, how did you become a Premier League quality center back? Second of all, how did you cost $80 million and hoodwink freaking everybody in the world thinking you were a good defender? Oh, my goodness. The more I watch him, it's just 
the more I just want to put my head in my hands and just cry because the defense was so is so abysmal this year. It makes me really wish real really wish Rio Ferdinand and Minamania Vidic were back in our lineup. I think I would take both of them at 45 years old right now than I would with Harry Maguire. I agree. I think I would toss Rio Ferdinand back there before I tossed Harry Maguire back there at this point. I completely agree. So yes, Harry Maguire will be the big age player of the year. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. He is the big age player of the year and he is a big age himself. Ugh. I hate that man. It's wild. I, it's just wild to me that Virgil Van Dyke gets sold from Celtic to Liverpool for seventy-eight million, and then Harry Maguire gets sold from Leicester to Manchester United for eighty million, and literally pulls the worst player of the year. Is <laughs> that's crazy? That is crazy. You know, it, it it surprises me how bad men you have done. Uh, player transfers it's like oh we just spent however much money on you know Ramadol Falcao or Angel Di Maria it's so awful and then they're like fuck it we'll do it again Uh, we're we're gonna buy another mediocre player for way too much money welcome into our team you're gonna do so good now we're gonna be on the bench and now we're gonna sell you for a third of the price we paid because you're awful Man, you have just been a bad business. I feel like it all started with Falcao. I think that's like the first one that I can remember that you guys paid for way, way, way too much money. And then he did literally nothing. You know, that one was a surprising one, but it was a loan. It was a loan. Chelsea bought him. Wow. I mean, that sucks for Chelsea. Chelsea bought him, but with Man U, it was a loan, which... Yeah, that didn't really work out because that was the that was the one transfer window where man, you thought, oh, we're gonna win the Champions League because they brought in Di Maria, Falcao, and they also brought in Schweinsteiger. I forgot that Schweinsteiger was at Manchester United, man. That's and, crazy. And I'm fairly certain that was also the year they brought in Marwan Fellaini. Oh my goodness, he was one of my least favorite players of all time. If only he was still in the Premier League, we'd give him the worst player of the year. He he would definitely deserve it. I mean, he's awful, and I just hated that guy. He was a dirty player, too. I hated him so much whenever he played. He was awful. Speaking of Di Maria, though, he just played his most likely his last game for Argentina in Argentina. And, I mean, we're going to also lump Leo Messi into there because – I mean, he usually goes back and forth between retiring from World Cups, but I don't imagine him playing another World Cup in four years. So, I mean, that's they literally just played their last home Argentina game uh, two days ago or yesterday, which is pretty crazy. Two days ago, yeah. That is crazy. Love to see both those players, and it would, it would stink to see them uh, stop playing for the national team in Argentina. Which is crazy, which is even funnier because – we saw Leo Messi retire from Argentine, Argentine football uh, before when he missed those penalty kicks. Oh, yeah. that was Those were bad penalties, too. They were awful. They were so bad. That blew my mind how bad they were from supposedly the best player in the world. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Completely agree. All right, man. Anything else you want to say to the crowd? I don't think so. 
sorry for uh, missing out on all those episodes, but hopefully this one made up for it with all the uh, team of the year action and Hall of Fame stuff. All, all I mean, this is this was a fun topic. This was a fun topic, and uh, we'll see if we get any uh, any backlash from our fans out there. Yeah, we'll see about some of them, but a lot of them can't. You can't argue a lot of them. I would be very surprised if we get any bat- backlash for the Big H Award. I doubt it. I mean, whoever's listening, uh, Kev Pacheco, James Minconi, uh, Jake Broderick, Mike Pollard, Alex Yoder, Zach O'Connor. If you have any any reservations about Big H not winning the award, please let us know, and we will surely send you the highlights. Yeah, I will start sending you the memes. Don't worry. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Just unbelievable how bad he's been. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much. We'll see you all on Tuesday.